Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello everyone, and thanks again for joining us at the 2022 Sloan Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Glenn Borok and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And it's my pleasure to introduce our panel today, Beyond the Book, The Inevitable Expansion of Sports Betting, presented by Caesars. Our panelists today are Amy Howe, Chief Executive Officer of FanDuel, Rene uh, Anderson, Chief Revenue Officer and Executive Vice President of NFL Partnerships for the National Football League, and Sharon Otterman, Chief Marketing Officer of Caesars Entertainment. Our panel will be moderated by Chad Millman, the Chief Content Officer of the Action Network, and the panel will run for 55 minutes, leaving approximately 10 minutes at the end for questions. Please submit questions on Twitter using the hashtag beyondthebook. Uh, questions will then be selected by the moderator. With that, I'll turn it over to you, Chad. Thank you very much. Thanks to the panelists for being here today. Uh, <clears throat> Amy, you were rushing from another panel. Yes. So the first question is not on the script, so you don't know it. Um, give me a curveball. <laughs> yeah, right off the bat. So we were talking backstage about the way sports books are trying to communicate with consumers. And Caesars has a very public campaign with the Mannings, with JB Smoove, JBC. <laughs> uh, FanDuel is approaching it in a very different way. So off the bat, I wanted to sort of have Sharon talk about you guys started later after the merger, the acquisition with William Hill, uh, how are you thinking about competing in the marketplace? What is the value that these campaigns bring to, to your brand and consumers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, last year at this time, we were still two separate companies. So um, we launched in August of 2021, and we have entertainment in our name. We're Caesars Entertainment. So we approach the marketplace in terms of entertaining and delighting our sports bettors and our potential sports bettors. And when we went out, we talked to consumers and we asked them what was going on in the space and how they felt about the brands. They just felt that the space was very transactional. And we believed, you know, from our history of entertaining and offering all this great hospitality, we needed to do the same in the sports book space. So when you look at our name, especially on Caesar's Palace, there's no apostrophe in our name. Caesar didn't own the palace. It was everyone's palace, and we treat everyone like royalty. So we needed a Caesar to treat everyone like royalty. And JB Smooth, or we call him JBC, JB Caesar, uh, is the best Caesar that we could imagine. And then once you get that, then you also have to have a royal family of football. And what better royal family of football than Eli Payton, Archie, um, Cooper, you know, everyone coming together. So uh, we believe that storytelling and entertaining is a huge part of treating everyone like a Caesar. So Amy, FanDuel famously goes out and signs deals with a lot of different people in media, uh, but also a lot of high profile talent. Um, may or may not be spending a boatload of money on Pat McAfee. And how does that drive value for you guys? Yeah, so if you, if you look at Pat, I mean, at the end of the day, these decisions are all come down to their investment decisions, right? They're 
as many deals that we look at that we don't do that we do. And you know, Pat specifically was, uh, since he partnered with us, was one of the most important acquisition channels for us. Um, he also has just done a really phenomenal job building the brand. You know, we just came off of Super Bowl a few weeks, hard to believe we were sitting here three weeks ago in uh, Super Bowl. Uh, but, you know, Pat had an unbelievable presence in Radio Row with the NFL. We had 60 different celebrities that were coming through. And, and so he's figured out how to really bring sports betting to life as part of the overall narrative of, of the game. You know, we had for uh, Super Bowl specifically, we had a same game parlay that was Pat's same game parlay. And we had a quarter of a million consumers that were riding on that parlay. It didn't hit, by the way. If it did hit, we would have lost a lot of money. <laughs> but, uh, but I think you know he's a good example. You know, TNT and Turner is another great example with our NBA integration. You're now seeing sports betting part of just the overall narrative of the game, and it's fundamentally changing the way consumers um, experience live sporting events. Rene, I'm going to come back to you in one sec because Amy just said something really specific, which was a quarter of a million consumers riding with Pat McAfee. So. Since this is a data-driven conference, that's a key data point for you when you're determining like the value of a personality and what you can drive back to your business. That's exactly right. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, right, we're looking at how efficiently can we acquire customers, and what's the value of that customer over the long haul. And you know, we're still we talk about the fact that we're still in the very early innings of sports betting. There's new states coming online. Just in the last year, you know, even in the last quarter of Arizona, Connecticut, New York, Louisiana, four states that weren't online before. And so there is a bit of a race early on to make sure you can get that early cohort because they tend to be more valuable and the paybacks are there. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a critical part of us being successful in the long run is, the, is that how we use the data and the analytics and the efficiency to make sure we're getting the right customers. And we're 24 hours away from another state yeah. <laughs> coming online. So, Rini, you have relationships with just about every operator at the NFL. How are you defining the value that each operator brings and what you guys are looking for or, or splicing up those relationships? Yeah, I think for us, I mean, and many people here know that, we, we were somewhat slow to market. Slow being because we know that when we actually participate that it's going to have somewhat of a tidal wave impact. And so, really being thoughtful and we really started, you know, Caesars, we've actually been partners prior to sports betting. We, they were our official casino partner, which was really great because they did so much to help teach us about the, just the intricacies of sports betting. And, and we are continuing to learn and here we are, you know, after one full season and we're, people are asking all these questions. What have you learned? Where your KPIs were like, everybody slow down. It's been one year. <laughs> um, you know, it, it, and so, I think the value is for us when we went to market, we, we didn't have a plan to actually do a try-exclusive deal. I mean, you know, it's, that's nothing genius about try-exclusive, right? We, you know, if we did four, I guess we would have called it quad-exclusive. <laughs> but we're typically an exclusive with one partner. But what we learned going to market and talking to the different operators, and you just gave a great example, they all really differentiate themselves in how they talk to the customer, the sports better, in a very different way. And as we continue to learn, it's important that we understand how Caesars utilizes their you know, properties on site and it takes all of the pieces of entertainment and music and all the great things they do 
and, and, and what they learn from that sports better. And same with FanDuel, as, they, as we think about free-to-play games and how they're working specifically with those customers that are very focused on free-to-play and how does that cross-section for those that want to bet on sports, we're continuing to learn. And, so, and, and, and also our third partner, which is DraftKings, as we think about their daily fantasy business and there are a variety of other areas of, of other type of engagement and behavior fan engagement um, pieces. So I think for us it's about learning because th this isn't, this is here to stay. There's a, it's a long play. I'm not necessarily focused on the value today. I'm focused on the value long term. How this will help grow our fans, that engagement. The fans that want to bet. We have 200 million fans. I don't know if they want to all bet. I don't believe so. These guys, it's their job to help go and, and, and get those fans to become sports bettors. But we want to be really thoughtful of those. We know that there are many that don't want to. And so we're really thoughtful about that and understanding how we can continue to grow together. And that fan engagement piece is really the most important part. And, and also, I'll just add, responsible gambling is the equally most important part because we all have a responsibility as, as participating within this entire ecosystem to make sure that we're doing it in a responsible way. So the NFL famously sort of took its time, right? And the NFL can do that. It, it can sort of see how things are shaking out and when other sports are jumping in, it can have a much more conservative approach. So now that you're in it, and even though it is early learnings, what kind of feedback are you getting from fans about the, the influence or the advent of betting information? Yeah, I think one thing that we're learning is that there is a purity to our game. And so consumers want to watch our game in a clean way. So you're going to continue to see our game broadcast in a, in a way that's clean. There's not going to be a lot of voiceover of sports betting um, or lines or communication in the clean broadcasts. But what we do want to create are unique assets around the broadcast for that consumer to make sure that we are feeding that appetite of that key consumer that wants to know about sports betting. So we're not turning off the fan that actually isn't participating in that. And so I think that's something that's really important. And to your point, now that we're into it, I think there was a, there was a point on there in a question, someone said, well, the NFL used to be against sports betting. Sports betting used to be illegal. <laughs> so just so you know, we were against it because it was illegal. And that's, that's the statement. And I think for us, when PAPSA was overturned, we wanted to take our time and really understand how this was evolving across the country and how it was being, uh, you know, you know, activated and marketing and, and what was happening with market access. And so we've had these great partnerships that have really helped us as partners understand what's important in key states, what's happening in Florida or Texas or California. And, and that part is really important as we think about the future. And as, as you said, as it continues to grow countrywide and becomes national at some point. And it, it, because originally it, it wasn't necessarily national, right? It was really local focused. And so it, we're all gonna spend a lot of time and I guess we'll be here again next year and the same question will be asked and hopefully we'll have some more KPIs and we'll, we'll create unique contents uh, that the consumers can use to continue to engage in, in, in better ways. And I'd, I'd give the NFL a lot of credit on, on your point specifically around learning. I mean, when we signed the deal, one of the first conversations I had with, with Roger and Rini was, and Roger said, he said, listen, we're not the experts in this space. We're gonna look to you to help us innovate, to, to push our thinking. And, and I think that partnership has been really great. But as you said, 
we're one year in. Uh, we got the first year under our belts, but yeah. now the question is, okay, how, how do we take it from here and, and do what's right for the consumer, but also find different ways to engage? But it's also really interesting in the space, like the NFL just gets to make money from this, right? Like they get you don't to, just get to. Like, well, I, mean, I wish everyone's like, I'll just gonna sit back, guys. Come on well, in. Like, what, I, what, I mean is, what I mean is the NFL is a benefactor of sports betting becoming something that, oh, that is brand new. It's an open market, right? And I would say two years ago at this time, we're all at this conference. The pandemic is a week away from shutting down the universe. And in that first, say, 12 months of the pandemic, the one area that got very frothy and that people were still super excited about was sports betting. Even though there weren't that many sports, even in the first six months of the pandemic, right? The market, the valuations of the various sports betting companies skyrocketed. DraftKings goes public. And now all of a sudden we're seeing some of that level out to both of your points that we're still in the early stages sharing like what are you guys learning from the acquisition costs to drive a business that you know you want to be in for 40, 50, 60, as long as it takes. Yeah, I mean, this is the biggest thing since riverboats, right? So, yeah. um, you know, what we're learning is that, you know, there can't be this media arms race, right, to keep participating, to, to the point of all of the media companies very excited about this as a brand new category and how they could take advantage. The market also has to be sane at some point as well, too. And because we are such data-led companies, we're gonna to continue to hone our models and get smarter and smarter how much we should pay for our customer and what they're worth. And I think it will benefit all of us of not having the media costs be out of control because we'll just make other choices. Um, so I think that as things, uh, you know, one of the reasons we're here is we're gonna recruit a lot of data people today. So we want more and more data folks to come in and help us get smarter and that will make our media buys smarter as well too. Amy, how, what's your... Yeah, I mean, um, listen, I think, um, I think New York is a great example, right? Um, New York, for I'm guessing many of you know, it has a 51% tax rate, but the way they treat bonusing, effectively it could be closer to 80 or 100%. And so on the one hand, you might look at that and say, well, that's a lot of great revenue for the state. The reality is, as an operator, at some point you just got to pull back because you, can't, you cannot build a sustainable, profitable business over time. And so and the, the way we're looking at it is, what are the economics to acquire those customers? If I look at some of the more, we talk about a more mature state being three years old, but New Jersey, Pennsylvania, right? We're already, we're already contribution positive in those states. Um, and the adoption curves now are just so much quicker, right? As sports betting becomes mainstream, and, and New York is a great example, it, yeah. you know, you hit these J curves much faster yeah. than you were. And so we're getting a lot smarter about w when do we start to pull back on that investment and shift towards the, you know, the retention of those. The, one, the other thing I would say is, listen, we can throw whatever money we want in, into the marketplace. The reality is if you don't have a good product, you're not going to keep those customers. And so we obsess even more about making sure that we can innovate and have a stable, reliable product and one that consumers trust, right? Because at the end of the day, that's what's going to matter. Yeah, the product is, seems to be the thing that gets people most excited. That's the conversation that uh, if you listen to betters, if you listen to fans, the interface, the experience, the ability to get your money in, get your money out, those are like all the things 
Rudy, back to you, like as a partner, if these things aren't going as well, what is the NFL's role? How are you communicating with partners on things like that? Well, and that's what, I mean, Genius Sport, we work with them on official data, as, as do our other partners here. And for us, you know, the speed, right, of the data and the, and the quality and making sure, I mean, everything that we do, we want to make sure is superior quality. The technology has to catch up. You know, if we look at the ecosystem from, of our stadiums and 5G technology that's integrating there. There's so many different pieces to the puzzle that come into play. Um, as you are at home, you know, deciding to make a bet on a game. And so we're really focused on all of those areas to make sure that it, that it does run right and it is superior, but it takes some time to, to get there. Um, and, and, and that's where, you know, we, we think in three to five years, as we think about this technology and the data, there are going to be new products, new services that are really going to be awesome for the customer, that are really going to be better than they are today, but it's just going to take a little bit of time to get there. But even you know Super Bowl this year, uh, we had 600 different markets that you could wager on, right? 600 markets just for for one event. Um, you know we had 35% of our bets were same game parlay, um, which means that customers are engaged. Whether thank God the, the Super Bowl was not a blowout, but if it is a blowout, right? People are engaged because they want to understand the outcome of, you know, did Odell Beckham Jr. score and who was the you know who did you can that on the coin toss in some states. Um, there's literally hundreds of different markets and you can parlay them. And so it's just, it, it's fundamentally changed. The, the product has changed the way we're, we're consuming sporting events. Well, as someone who had Odell Beckham Jr. <laughs> at 10 to one to score the first <laughs> touchdown, I believe it was on FanDuel. Uh, you know, I loved that particular market. Reedy, how much, say three years ago, sports betting becomes legal mm -hmm. and it's not something the NFL is engaging with yet. Now it's engaging with quite a bit. How much of your time is spent on sports betting? How much are you thinking about this as sort of a higher ceiling versus other opportunities? Well, we spend a lot of time thinking about our long-term plan and sports betting is an integral part of our strategy for a long-term plan for fan engagement um, as well as revenue growth. But it's not the only one. I mean, I, I, this isn't about this, but blockchain technology um, is another place where I spend a lot of my time. Um, and so, and the future of that, and the metaverse. I mean, imagine you can have this event next year in the metaverse, that would be cool, right? I mean, this would be so fun. We could do all of this in the metaverse. Um, and that didn't really even exist as something I even would speak about a year ago. And so I think about, and then where the convergence of sports betting within the blockchain. Like there's all these things that we're thinking about now for the long-term side of it. And so I think right now, for instance, as we're thinking about going into the next season, logistically speaking, our draft is in Las Vegas. Our host is Caesars Palace. And so when we think about that participation and what we've got right ahead of us, that's really exciting. And then as we go into the 22 season, all of the, the pieces that we will work together with our partners to, to leverage and to launch, I'm excited about all of that. I think. You know, you talk about the Super Bowl. I mean, it's not like it's the Super Bowl of balloon festivals. I mean, it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so when we think about those key KPIs that we got from this past year within the Super Bowl, our first time really integrating into that, yeah. what we're going to do next year when also, you know, when we're in Arizona, the Super Bowl, I, I can't wait to see what, you know, I, I think the best is yet to come on that. It may, it may be what my expectation is today, but it's probably going to be five times more than that than what it is today. Well, look, like, 
Caesars is, is sort of going to be the home of the draft, right? And it's going to be in Las Vegas. And all of a sudden, it has the feel of a party unlike any other experience the draft has ever had. And because it can be integrated, right? Because the NFL is involved, because you're involved, because there's a partnership. Um, when you think about the value of an experience like that versus here's an $1,100 promo offer, yeah. right? Yeah. How do you define what that is and how, what do you see working better? You know, we look at the holistic picture, so it goes back to, again, entertainment being in our name and our brand and getting our brand out there and getting it in the consideration set. A year ago, we weren't even on the, on the playing field, and now you know, we have really great market share and uh, a lot of success. So we look at the whole experience as we do everything else. It's the in-person experience. It's the online experience. And you combine it all together, and we feel like it's a differentiating offer in the marketplace. Amy, when you're thinking about sort of offers versus, because this is a, a big conversation, if not everybody's aware of sort of what offers are, but a lot of sports books will incentivize new users and say, bet $5 on X event to happen and you could win 30 times your money, yep. right? And so what is the value of that versus the value of a huge brand play for you guys? You know, it depends on, uh, it really depends on the category. The, you know, if you're talking about the NFL, NFL drives over a third of my activations. It depends on the event. So I can afford to be a lot more generous uh, for Super Bowl. We did 56 to one odds for Super Bowl, which, you know, for other events you would never do because it just doesn't drive the right level of activations. March Madness, you know, similar. We're coming into maybe not quite the level of Super Bowl, but pretty darn close in terms of the activation. So, you know, it depends a little bit on what state you're in and how much you're driving towards, you know, true acquisition versus the retention of those customers. But we use it, it since we're here at an analytics conference, right? It all comes down to the, the data, the science, and also just the, the test and learn, right? We've created an environment where we can tell you with quite a bit of precision which, which offer is going to work best for what event. Yeah, that's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating for anybody in the field, it's fascinating for people. You mentioned like there's an entire area of data science that is now available. I can remember being at this panel probably four or five years ago and talking about how because sports betting at the time wasn't legal, there's entire genres of opportunity that don't exist. Yeah for developing more data, right? And you talk about the metaverse, you talk about ways in which this can influence other things. So are you seeing more of an influx? Are you seeing sort of candidates come in who otherwise they might've been going to consult? Well, Caesars has always been a data-driven company, right? That's part of we're in the risk management business from being in the overall gambling industry, having hotel rooms, all of that being data-driven. Now it's really exciting of drive adding the data to sports, which we know that there are a lot of huge sports fans out there and they also really understand the data science world. So now putting those together, we think it's a great place to come and hone your skills and a ton of opportunity. We have so many open roles that we're excited to fill there. I mean, I'll talk about it in the context of, uh, if, you, if you look at, I have a risk and trading organization that is 125 data scientists, engineers, and this is the organization that determines that they're managing all the betting markets, they're setting the lines, they're determining what the odds are. 
and all we do almost all of ours in-house, and so they're building, they're constantly refining those models. A lot of those people come in and they're not experts in sports betting, um, but they're coming in because it's one of the most intellectually, one of the most interesting challenges when and how you leverage data, right, to innovate and create, uh, you know, for us a, a big competitive advantage. And so, yeah, we're getting people from any number of fields. Did, for, this is for everybody on the panel, when you were thinking about your careers, again, this is, this is off script right now, when you were thinking about your careers, how did sort of the idea of data play into it and influence you and drive you into something, I don't know if any of you were big betters when you were growing up, if your people in your family were betters, like, you know, everyone comes to it differently. How much did data drive you into the job you're in now? Wow. So I, um, I helped build websites in the early 90s for the Delta Airlines of the world. Um, so at that point, log analysis in the 90s and all that. But I've always been a sports fan. I've always casually bet on sports, you know, love to go to Las Vegas, love to bet around friends. But it just evolved. I've always been attracted to these new industries like the web back in the day to date myself. And then just even when I was at ESPN, we were working on ESPN Fantasy and Insider, and we worked with folks that had a vested interest because we could never call it sports betting. So I think the theme stays true. The opportunities evolve as you go through your career. Yeah, Amy, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, so I started out in consulting. I spent too long at McKinsey. Um, but so I, I was raised in an environment where Clients don't pay millions of dollars for a project if you're not going to use data and analytics to give them the recommendation. So for me, it kind of it was second nature, but it was interesting because we're just coming from a, a diversity panel and we we're talking about diversity of thinking. Um, two years ago right now, I was sitting on the stage um, running Ticketmaster and switched jobs in the middle of the pandemic. But um, for both of those, I was not hired because I was an expert in the industry, either ticketing or sports betting. No, I mean, I said this yesterday at the uh, Multiplier Summit, I had never placed a bet online before I took the job as president of FanDuel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, it, you know, I think we've been talking a lot about diversity of thinking and how you bring not just subject matter experts into an organization, but, you know, people who think in, in very different ways. And so, but analytics has been absolutely core to my, the tools I got were critical to me being successful at Ticketmaster and now at FanDuel. Really? Well, look, my path is really different. I went to Ole Miss and thought I was going to be a writer, and <laughs> that didn't happen, guys. And I think that working in sports at the time was like Bob Costas or Jerry Maguire. Like, I didn't even know this job existed. And so I'm really thankful for the opportunity that I have. I think today, data drives everything that we do. When I was 22 and trying to survive and doing eight jobs as an assistant for uh, a former commissioner of the Arena Football League, I don't even think I knew what data was other than sending an email blast out or faxing something. So when I, when I think about that and the growth and how data has affected my career, I think the last, I've been at the NFL for 16 years now, and, and everything we do through that, that lens, if I even think the last 12 of those 16, data has been playing a part, and now it's driving our, our, our core long-term value of how we partner with with uh, different, different partners, how we think about that fan engagement, what is going to be the right product for a fan moving forward. Um, it's at the forefront of everything we do. How has that evolved, especially at the NFL, since you've been there? I mean, look, when, if you guys remember back in the day, you'd go to a sports park and you could sign up for a credit card and you would get like a free rally towel or a bobblehead. 
that was data when I started at the NFL. I remember going in to replace that, it was the MBNA card. Probably a lot of people in college used to get that because you could get a credit card. And what's, what's crazy about it, when we, we switched our, our partners of our affinity card, we used to talk about our database, what we knew about them. But what we really knew about them is they really didn't use that card that often. They got it because they wanted the bobblehead. And so ultimately, we have been spending a lot of time on thinking about that fan. Who is the fan at home? Who is the fan in the stadium? Because the fan that come, goes to watch a Patriots game may have some similar attributes as that fan that may go see a Jets game because they hate each other, but there are a lot of things really different about them and how they go. And so we've spent a lot of times, especially the last eight years, really trying to build and start to be more sophisticated on that data and on that customer. And frankly, you're going to see a lot more about that now as we have data scientists within the National Football League. I mean, again, I think everyone now in their organization, you said you have hundreds. I think we have three, but it's way more than we had before. We're pretty lean. But it, we have data scientists that are informing before we decide to go and have a game in Germany. We're working and looking and understanding what is the data telling us about our game in Europe? Before we make decisions about who's going to be the Super Bowl halftime show artist, we look in the data to really in, inform us as we think about those entertainment pieces of decisions. And so um, I think it's going it to will and continue to evolve for sure. The, the other thing I'd add on to that is I think, I guess, wearing my old hat at Ticketmaster, digital ticketing has really enabled a lot of that, well, you know, de-anonymization, right? So right. you think about it years ago, you, you basically knew nobody in a, in a stadium, right? Now, and again, in the spirit of never let a crisis go to waste, COVID has massively accelerated the adoption of digital ticketing. And so while it's not one-to-one -one yet, right, because somebody may be coming in, you know, four tickets on one phone, um, you know a heck of a lot more about who's in that venue, how do you convert them to a season ticket package, how do you provide a truly personalized experience in the venue. And so I think there's technology has absolutely helped enable um, a lot of what you're talking about. Absolutely. I would even add, too, what we learned during the pandemic is just the behavior shift of our consumer and where we should shift. Sometimes you, you have to stop doing old things. And, and that was one where collectibles just exploded during the pandemic of trading cards, NFTs, but were they starting to, to grow prior? We, you know, we don't know. We look at the data and where are our fans spending their time because a lot of the fans that are doing that also bet on sports. So how do we think about those two together? Or it, so really trying to think about that data, and that was, that's just a good example of something that we, we didn't anticipate that was definitely quite significant, and we all saw that in the sports space, and we're seeing it continue, and how those marry with that customer on other areas that are important to them as they integrate within your sport. So what if you, I, I have one question that's way off script, but then I'll bring this it back. This is like the third one. I know. <laughs> you guys keeping track? Way, it's like I'm going off keep, script. I'm glad you're keeping track because the total was actually two and a half. You only get so, one more. <laughs> so you, you all have really big jobs in which you have to make big decisions all the time. Do you feel like the data that helps you make the decision, does it take some of the pressure off? when you're making a decision? Amy, you can go first. Yeah, I think um, for, for very emotional decisions, absolutely, right? I mean, if you think about it, there's a lot of decisions that we make, strategies that we might be recommending that not everybody's, I mean, I, candidly, most things, not everyone is on the same page. And so um, I, I think when you're able to objectively frame options, bring data to the table, and in a very unemotional way, say, here's option A, here's option B, here's what you have to believe to think that this one is better. 
um, you can have a, a constructive and unemotional debate about it. So, I mean, candidly, throughout my entire career, that's how I've used data, and, and I see it all the time because the reality is we're in, we are in such a dynamic and fast-paced environment right now that there's a lot of decisions that we're making where we don't know what we don't know yet, right? So you do the best you can based on the, the information you have, and then at the end of the day, there's a bunch of judgment you have to apply to it too. Yeah, I think there's this beautiful mix of art and science together where it's great that we have a lot more data than we ever had before, but we're in a new industry that never existed before, in states we've never been, with customers that it's all new to them. And some of it, you also need to have the data and then also have that judgment and say, you know what, my experience, my gut, everything that this is good and making a decision that's a blend of art and science together. I would add on that, you're, you're in, in an industry that is built off passion and, and competitiveness that at that point you're like data, it, it's like you feel it in your core being if you're a fan and, and your quarterback leaves and goes to Tampa. <laughs> like, what do I do? <laughs> Where does the data tell me? That's not what happens there, right? And so I think it's, it's definitely that blend when you're thinking about that core passion that, that our fans and, and that we actually have such a great opportunity to participate in working in the sports industry, which is pretty awesome. The, the flip side is, and since we're, I guess now just coming out of COVID, there, there are times where you can kid yourself into thinking there's false precision around the dating. We did all this consumer research around the return to live. And, you know, honestly, to, I mean, it was, it was good fact-based to have, but at the end of the day, I don't know how helpful it really was. It was like, okay, this thing is gonna be, it ended up being a lot longer than we thought it was gonna be. And, uh, and sometimes you just have to, in the spirit of one-way versus two-way doors, you just have to, in, in, in COVID, there aren't that many one-way doors. Yeah. You gotta, sometimes you just gotta make decisions. Even and the other thing too, you're, the pressure's always on, even if you, does it make you feel a little bit better because you've got the data behind it, but it doesn't alleviate the pressure. Not at this, in, in this space yeah. where we happen to be. Yeah. But you, if it goes wrong, you can't go to Roger Goodell and be like, Roger, this is what the data said. <laughs> He'll be like, I'm not buying it. And so I think that's, you know, it, 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 that's always an interesting meeting to have. <laughs> Add a few. How do those go? I know for you? there's a couple people that worked here at the NFL. Marianne Turk's here. We've had those discussions. Um, but yeah, you, there's a bit of it where you have to just walk through, but no, there's always risk. There's always a bit of risk, but that's part of the excitement of being in sports. The, the interesting thing about betting, to your point about the passion, is that I think it's showing a lot of fans how to be dispassionate because the best decisions are made when you're understanding the data, the way FanDuel can communicate with an audience, whether it's creating content or trying to lead people in one direction to make good decisions, right? Same with Caesar, same with action. Like it's teaching people to be a different kind of fan. Maybe, but I, I think the real insight on sports betting as a customer feels like they're right. Like they watch so much sports on TV and they attend so many games and there's a self-satisfaction being right. Like I knew this was gonna happen, right? I knew he was gonna make this catch. I knew he was gonna do this, but I knew the coin toss was gonna be heads. <laughs> and that confidence and that sometimes they do throw data out the window too. And it's that balance of art and science because as a sports fan, you just know. And so I, I do think the customer's feeling a lot of the ways that we're feeling on the business side of it as well. Do you have uh, thoughts on sort of the dispassionate angle for sports from the data perspective? 
Um, I mean, listen, I, I think, as, as we've discussed, I, what, what we are seeing is that the, the engagement, honestly, is, and, and you're right, you know, I think sometimes whether consumers believe they, they know what's going to happen or not, it almost doesn't matter because their ability to bet on these player props and create their own same game parlay, it, it just creates excitement and engagement and the social aspect of it too, right? That's, I think that's what's really elevating and, and changing the experience. Um, so that, that's, that's on us to make sure that we can keep innovating and, and bringing great products to market. Um, but the, the other part of this, which, you know, since we're talking about data, that, and you mentioned earlier, we also have an obligation to make sure that we're educating consumers on how to do that in a responsible way, right? So since it's Responsible Gaming Month, I feel this is, this is something that for our organization is absolutely core to the value in the, in the DNA, and, and since we are in the early innings, I think we, we've got to show, use that data um, to educate consumers, especially that younger male audience, which we know is, is you know is going to be at more at risk. So th that's that's the other side of the equation. So, Rena, you mentioned there's 200 million NFL fans, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why NFL, the NFL, was thoughtfully conservative about this is because it had been through an experience with DFS, right, where FanDuel and DraftKings were putting billions of dollars into the market for commercial inventory to try to lure in fans. How did that experience influence your planning and strategy for, for betting? Yeah, I think that was that 2015 when that, mm -hmm. when that launched, and I think everyone saw it. Every commercial spot happened to be a daily fantasy spot, and we were like, holy smokes, we, that, we totally missed that. I mean, it, it came on pretty quickly. Well, and that, that part of that has really helped us inform, and, and not just in this category, a variety of other categories. Today, like, we have ad caps. This is very technical. But we only have six spots per game that can be uh, specific to sports betting because we don't want to oversaturate the product with it hitting you over the head with something all the time, not just sports betting, but that, that is something that we've done here and will continue to do. We also know, as I mentioned before, of the 200 million fans, they all don't want to hear about sports betting. That's okay. They all, we all fan differently, right? I mean, some people, like their favorite color is blue, and some people, their favorite color is red. And we want to make sure that we're serving them in a very deliberate way. And so we've created with our partners a variety of examples that it, the, you know, with what you guys do with Pat McAfee is a great example of providing that content in a unique way to those that want to hear it. And if you don't want to hear it, you don't feel like you're, you're, you're walking all over the place and it's in front of you. If you're trying to, to go get condiments for your hot dog at the game, you're not going to be hit over the head with a kiosk and all of these other ideas on sports betting because it's not going to be where, you, where the general fan lives. And so we learned a lot from that. We also, when, when sports betting happened, it was a category at the time, as you all probably know, that didn't have the ability to bet on sports on or, or run advertising. There were the rules were somewhat different. If we could go back in time and and, and regulate how many uh, advertisers in auto could run on a on a game, you know that that's somewhat unique. And so we created an approved sports operator function that, in addition to our official partners being able to buy commercial spots we have four other operators that have the able to advertise as well. So then all those six spots aren't, aren't just, and maybe you don't like this, but aren't just FanDuel and Caesars. There are other operators that are out there as well. And so trying to just manage that, and you're going to see that's going to be consistent. I'm not making news here today, but we're not changing that moving forward. 
um, into the 22 season, but that's something that will continue to evolve. But I think that's going to be true in other categories that are new and emerging, that what we don't want to happen is that it's a C. If you have a, have a game and you have a, a commercial break and you've got you know, the A, B, C, D position, every spot all of a sudden ends up being a, you know, name the category spot. We, we, don't, we don't want that type of experience for our fans. And so we'll, we'll, we'll stay on top of that for every category that's, that's marketing in our games. It's yeah. interesting. Go ahead, Amy. I was just gonna say, I think the, I also think the dialogue and the partnership that sports betting operators have with the leagues is just fundamentally different than it was back in 2015. And obviously, oh, it, yeah, wasn't, absolutely. it wasn't legal, but we're having conversations with the NFL, with the NBA about how do we establish a code of conduct, right? Which is, you know, certainly regulators tell you what your minimum bar is that you need to meet, but above and beyond that, what should we just be doing as an industry? Because it's the right thing to do for the consumer. It's the right thing to do to protect. We all have brands that we have to protect. Um, and it's about the long-term viability. So the conversations are fundamentally different. Yeah, and that gets right back to your, I mean, not to go back to it, but your responsible gambling point, where that leads into that piece of that, which is these guys want just as much as, as us, that, that messaging. They don't want it over, over the top in, in, your head, in, a, in your head where it's every single spot. And so there is a good partnership of Well, it's not a good there. business decision either. If I keep hammering the same... You're talking to the, the same men people. between the ages of 21 and 54 with the same message. And we had conversations, especially in the beginning of the NFL, where you're, you know, you're constantly looking at the reach and frequency. And so yep. it's just it's not a good business decision. I think 2015 was so much about frequency and not about reach. And that has certainly changed. And we're very, very careful about the frequency. We're very careful about how much creative we put out there so that we're telling different stories, we're entertaining, we're not just throwing offers out in every spot and being really responsible about it so that we are self-regulating as well. The, um, how are you each thinking about, and the NFL has done this really thoughtfully and successfully for years, you mentioned how are you reaching, you know, you keep consistently hitting men 21 to 54. How are you thinking about reaching people that aren't men 21 to 54? So great that this panel is women, too, right? Yeah, look at this. Um, you know, we really, didn't even plan it this way. Exactly. You know, we used to, I used to say, like, there are all these sports bettors in Sharon, you know? But now um, it really is an adult audience, not just men 21 plus. And the same way of, you know, I always used to hate people say, I would, I'm in sports. And they'd say, oh, do you like sports? They never ask a guy, do they like sports? It's the same thing for women bettors. Like, they like sports, they like a vested interest in it. We target them the way that we target other folks um, and appeal to their interest. It's not like women are this separate category over out there that you have to treat them. They're sports fans, true and true. And I think it's a very important audience not to miss. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look at the sports population, 50% of sports fans are women, right? But maybe 15% of sports bettors are women. So you, know, you just look at that and it, it clearly suggests there's an opportunity. Um, you know, for us, we're experimenting with a lot of different partnerships right now. In fact, yesterday, um, we sponsored along with WISE, uh, Women in Sports and Entertainment and, and Wasserman, uh, an amazing Jessica Gellman. I'll give her the credit because it was her idea, but a multiplier summit, which brought all these you know, amazing senior female executives together, and it was about how do we, you know, how do we help each other and create that network. Um, but it's also, you know, for me to, and Sharon, to your point, uh, how how we reach that female consumer is probably going to be a little bit different than the way we reach the male 21 to 54. So, 
you know, we partnered with a company called The Gist and created a product, that was a fantasy product that was just for women through a channel that speaks to women. So we haven't cracked the code on this yet. Like we're, we're still, it's still early days in particular on this one, but when you look at that kind of imbalance between sports fans and betters, you know that there's inherently there's a big opportunity there. Jessica Gelman is amazing. She is amazing. Where is she Jess is. Gelman? Um, <laughs> Let's talk about how amazing Jess Seriously. Uh, the other thing that you mentioned, Rini, was, you know, kiosks at every stadium. And I think what's interesting is it's almost like the Jetsons, right? We all thought we'd be in spaceships by now. And the evolution of sports betting as a product and an experience is either slower than we thought, or it's a lot different than we thought. Amy, I want to start with you because FanDuel was there, you know, as soon as PASPA was repealed in 2018. Four years is a lifetime in this business. And did you think that every stadium by now would have some kind of on-site experience? And do you think that's even going to matter for sort of mass betting going forward? Well, I wasn't here in 2018, but <laughs> uh, it's interesting because we, we have a couple different partnerships where we have Sportsbook at a, a venue. Um, in fact, last year we just opened one in Phoenix with a Footprint Center Arena. Um, and I think it's, it's early days, uh, but I do believe that figuring out how to create, for us it's, you know, it's part of the branding, it's part of the marketing, but it's also part of bringing a better experience at the actual event itself. Um, is it a slam dunk? I don't know, it's too early to tell, to be honest with you, but I, I, I fundamentally believe that there is an opportunity to take my, you know, the digital ticketing analogy. Now that I know who's coming into the venue, I can figure out who I'm targeting to give personalized experiences to. And I think sports betting in venues will be part of it. The reality is, given the regulatory environment, you're not gonna see kiosks in all venues, right? It's just, it varies state by state, and so I don't think you're ever gonna, we won't be at a point where you, you have a footprint nationwide of kiosks in, in stadiums, but um, I'm excited to learn more. We've got a few coming up that, um, you know, that are gonna be opening up, and I think it's gonna further in, engage that sports fan. Well, I think for us too, I mean, it's productive patience. I mean, we don't have any today, <laughs> and so that's, it's like I can say that, and if we do have them, they, they won't be in locations necessarily where you're just gonna go also pick up your food and your beverage. They're gonna be in a deliberate spot and what you said is you, yeah. you think about the data and you know who's there and being very uh, deliberate on talking to them that is that is dedicated to that moment in time and if it is sports betting and if, it, if there is a physical manifestation within that place that's where they go because we also want to make sure that there's not any type of again offense of the senses to those that don't want to see that and participate that and so um, so that's something that we just think about a lot, but it's not something that we're moving quickly on because we want to understand it and what does it mean for the game day experience? What does it mean for, uh, for the engagement on site? And we're in no rush to, you know, to be the first to find out. We, we've had a great partnership with Monumental Sports and we have a sports book at Cap One and also in Chase Field with the Diamondbacks. And we love the partnership because we do believe it enhances the game day experience. If you want to be able to deposit cash. People are betting at the game anyway. So we're offering them an experience and being able to deposit cash, withdraw cash, have great food and beverage, and just 
enhance it. They're going to sports bar anyway. Why not have that experience to be full service there? And a company like Monumental that's so data oriented as well, it's a great combination to learn more about your customer in person. Well, it is a great experience. Like I've been, I've been to that sports book. It's phenomenal. It's great to be there for an event. It's great to be there on a Sunday. It feels it has that sort of sports book experience. And I think for a lot of fans, the idea that you can bring what had been Vegas yeah. to your community changes it a little bit. Yeah. And like, Rini is someone who, you know, you say you went to Ole Miss, great sports culture, clearly you're a sports fan. How has sort of sports betting personally changed your experience with sports? Well, I work on it. I don't bet on sports. Um, and, and we don't allow our, our employees to bet on sports at the National Football League as a part of our policy. And I've never bet on sports. I don't really, I mean, growing up, I'm from Kentucky, so it's like horse betting. I mean, it's like horse racing is there. <laughs> um, it's a lot of fun to go and participate in those things, but that's something that, that it has never been a part of my life. And um, I don't anticipate it being anything and a part of it moving forward as it relates to me actually betting on sports with the money I earn for me personally. So. It's like uh, it's a vocation, not an avocation. Sure. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to be at the National Football League for a while, so I don't, again, anticipate ever betting on sports. You're not going to be betting anytime soon. <laughs> no, not anytime soon, guys. So. Amy, have you, like, now that you've sort of been there and uh, you have the opportunities, have you started to take advantage of betting on sports? I can't either. Yeah. Same thing. You're not allowed to. No, no. no. From a regulatory perspective, I can't. We can't. No. Um, it's the integrity, too, of the game. It's yeah. like, we, that's so important. And it's, it, frankly, that drives, before we even jumped into it, the integrity of the game um, it cannot be a question. And, in, and by the way, sports betting just doesn't ha isn't the only thing that has a, an influence on the integrity of the game. And if, if a team is pumping in loud music, that has an, an issue with the integrity of the game. But that's something that we, have to, we spend a lot of time on before we ever considered uh, entering into the space, and so there has to be no question about that. And the, and the amount of training that we do, I think we've trained 16,000 people between staff, clubs, you know, players, officials, all of the training that we go into to make sure the integrity of the game is never a question as sports betting is happening around the ecosystem of our sport. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things I'm most excited about is even though I can't personally uh, engage in spending in these platforms is uh, we don't view ourselves as a, a you know, a, a, an online sports betting operator. We view ourselves as somebody who provides entertainment to sports betting consumers, right? And if you look at 90% of sports fans say they do this as a form of entertainment. And so for, for us to be in that consideration set and be part of delivering, I mean, you know, we talk about concerts and sporting events as unforgettable moments. So to be part of that is, is, a, is a really special place in the industry. And so I think we have to do that with integrity the way we manage payments, our, you know, the protecting our platforms, protecting your data is all part of that. The, uh, you mentioned integrity. One of the questions from the audience um, is specifically about integrity. And Rini, you said you guys have trained 16,000 people. What does that look like? What is that program like? How do you go through it? What, what are sort of things that you try to drive home for 
the employees? Well, I mean, I think it's just general knowledge of the policies that are in place. So I can speak specifically to those that we take. I, I, I'm not a part of today what's happening locally with all of the, sure. the, even our broadcast partners. I mean, everyone who touches the game is a part of this training, but the, it's really, you know, understanding the implications that are, that are in place if you were to go bet on sports and understanding why it's important that we don't. Um, you know, so it's general training. I mean, everybody kind of does uh, office training uh, often, but it's pretty intense in a way that we, we're very serious about it. We require all of our employees to do it, and we will continue to do that moving forward. In addition to that training, and I don't mean to harp on the responsible gambling piece, but we mirror that with the importance of why we, we focus on gambling responsibly. Because you, you kind of can't talk about the integrity of the sport without it. And so it is married together, and often a lot of that education that we do uh, from you know all levels of the National Football League, making sure that there is a commitment and partnership that we're all representing the National Football League, and that means that we're also rep representing the the importance of gambling responsibly in our place within in that market. Well, it is an interesting it's an interesting challenge, right? Because Sharon, you mentioned entertainment. Amy, you mentioned entertainment, and. Sports betting is, for the majority of people, meant to be entertaining. And most people can control it. They're betting $10. They're betting same-game parlays. Uh, how do you find the balance for that responsibility? Amy, I'll start with you. Yeah. Uh, between promoting something that is entertaining, aligning with personalities who will make it feel like it's exciting and you're going to be in this with me, uh, with the idea that this is something that can potentially be an issue for people. Yeah, there, I mean, there's many things we do. It's, I could spend a lot of time talking about this topic, but one of the things that we, we use um, our data and advanced analytics to identify at-risk behavior, right? And because we're part of Flutter Entertainment, we have models that are built off of literally decades of experience of understanding, you know, what does problematic behavior look like? So part of it is how, how do we leverage that and, and make sure we can flag that? But, a big part of what we're doing right now, investing is, especially in the in these early years, is educating consumers. So we have a, an ambassador that, that we partnered up with. His name is Craig Carton. You may know him. He's in the New York area. And Craig has a very well-documented challenge with, um, with gambling. And he's, um, what he's doing for us is educating and creating content that humanizes this topic, especially to that young male audience. We're doing a college tour with Craig, and he's going to be going out and in educating consumers on how you how you bet and stay within your limits and keep it as a form of entertainment. So, a uh, lot of hard work ahead. Um, but you know, similar to the NFL, we're also shifting our marketing dollars. We, we spend a lot of money in marketing, obviously, but we're now starting to educate Q2. We have a new marketing campaign coming out, which is all about exactly this topic. Sharon. Yeah, well, education is so key. We were advertising, uh, even all leading up to the Super Bowl, we have a responsible gaming spot with, um, with the Manning family that we launched, and we were running that even on Super Bowl Sunday. But we're, you know, we're out there proactively advertising, um, setting limits, setting limits on time, setting limits on, on money, um, all of the controls that you have within the product itself and just controls around responsible gaming and then making content, making sure it gets to the right uh, to the right folks. Really important that we take it on ourselves for responsibility. So we have about uh, three and a half minutes left. Going down the line for each of you, of these trends that are possible in sports betting, 
sports media, which do you think is most likely to happen next? A sports betting platform is streaming live sporting events, is winning the rights to live sporting events. There are 45 states that have sports betting, and you can be betting in real time from the stadium, either at a kiosk or on your phone. Um, or, well, let's go with those two. Which, Sharon, you start. Which one of those two is most likely to happen? I think that this last year of all these state launches has proven that this is going to be across the United States, just the way that it is in many countries around the world, and it's going to continue to scale, and we're going to see sports betting in a lot more places than we do today. Amy? Well, if your specific question is, are we going to see kiosks in stadiums in 45 states, I don't think that's happening anytime soon. Um, I would ask our partner here about the streaming question, which is a very good question. Uh, I, I do think it's going to happen probably in other leagues first. It's probably not going to happen first in the NFL, but, um, but that in general, I think that convergence of the, you know, the, the sports media, the content, the, um, the, the content that we provide around the betting odds, you're just going to see more and more of that happening. Uh, we're already starting to see it. I have absolutely no idea. But what I will say <laughs> is that the content's interesting, right? Alternative broadcasts, and we saw what great success, you know, um, speaking of the Mannings with alternative broadcasts, and there's a variety of other areas that, that, that could be unique there as we think about that core better. And I think the content piece is really interesting. I don't know when or how, and most of our rights are locked up for like 10 years, a big TV right? So um, maybe in 10 years, we will maybe expand your years and see what happens you know, after that. But um, I think that's interesting to, to watch and how we engage with those consumers. Yeah, in 10 years, it could be FanDuel or Caesars are the dominant media players as all the worlds continue to converge. And the Super Bowl's on the moon, right? <laughs> and, and, we're, and we're in the Sloan conferences we're in the in metaverse. The metaverse. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I love that idea. Where's, where are Jess and Daryl? Can you make that happen yeah, next year? In the metaverse. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you uh, to our panelists. Uh, great conversation, candid conversation. Appreciate it. Uh, and thanks to our audience. Enjoy the rest thanks, of guys. the panelists. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.